Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to the Spotlight. We are your hosts, Tired Ambassador Harry Thomas. And I'm the Chief Alex. Harry, who do we have today, please? We have the multi-talented and super gorgeous professional person and great personal friend of mine and my wife's, Kisa Ocampo. Harry, Alex, it's such an honor to be able to join you today. I'm such a big fan of your podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time, Kisa. We really appreciate it. Kisa, please tell us about yourself and your family. Well, I was actually born out here in California um, to uh, a wonderful family. When I was around, uh, approaching around eight years old, my father decided to move us back to the Philippines because his, fa- his side of the family actually lives out there. And something interesting about my father that I was always just, you know, always in awe of was, first of all, the fact that he's so tall. He's six foot three. And I think that's not very common for Filipino. But my father at one point was actually a professional basketball player in the Philippines. And Harry, you would know this because you spent so much time in the Philippines. But if you play basketball in the Philippines professionally, you're basically like celebrity, right? So I think having come from that background and, you know, my father's family is also in politics, moving to America was something very, very, very different. And what he said was that he wanted to raise both me and my brother, knowing the culture, understanding the language. And so we moved back there um, when I was around eight. And, you know, so far it's been you know, just a lot of traveling back and forth. But around 16 years ago, I decided to make the leap and come back more permanently. I came back because at that time, both of my grandparents who lived in Berkeley had cancer at the same time. And I decided that, you know, if there was any opportunity for me to really do something that was going to be of love and service to my family, that it was going to be that opportunity. And, you know, as um, as the universe would have it, I never got to go back home. My mother sent me two balik bayan boxes of all my things. Mm-hmm. And basically, she was like, hey, listen, try it out. If it doesn't work out, come back in a few years. But don't come back without first seeing if you can make it and if you like it. Right. And I think that was such great advice. Oh, wow. Wow. It was great. So how did you enter journalism? You know, that's a funny story, Alex. Um, When I was fresh out of college, I actually took an internship at a preschool. It was an international preschool. And I had a few students that had um, learning disabilities. And so, you know, coming out of uh, a pre-med degree, which, you know, I was a good daughter, good Filipina, right? So went went straight into medicine. I actually decided that it, I didn't really feel like it was necessarily for me. And so at that point, my father, he said, you know, he wanted me to have a real corporate job, whatever that meant, because I think teaching is one of the hardest professions out there. But he said he wanted me to have a real corporate job. And so, you know, I was scrolling through um, the internet, just looking at potential corporations where I might want to, try out uh, some sort of a career. And the only thing that looked remotely fun was the largest media company in the Philippines called ABS-CBN. So one day I walked in without an appointment. I was very well dressed. I had, um, you know, uh, 
a CV with me, a bio. And I just went up to the desk and I said, hi, I'm here to apply for a job. Can you let me know which floor to go to? And I think the the security guard was just so stunned. And he just said, uh, maybe you should try the ninth floor. Long story short, I first ended up at the legal department, but obviously I'm not a lawyer. So they said, why don't you try going down the hall? It was the PR department. And I had an interview in five minutes. And after chatting for maybe five to 10 minutes, I was asked if I could start on Monday. And that's basically how I got my start. But I want to say that although the beginnings were very, I think I was very lucky. I was so fortunate. It was pure luck um, and goodwill. I want to say that I spent every single day in the last 16 years earning that and making sure that I had earned a rightful place in the company and I had that I had learned and given back as much as I could. Wow, that is so incredible. I always tell Harry that no is an answer. And you just went there without even having an appointment and say, hey, I want to apply for a job. And look at, you didn't, you didn't get it, no. That's exactly. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe if you just ask nicely and smile, maybe people will say yes more, Harry. <laughs> well, uh, since we hope this will be listened to in the Philippines, I've got to ask you, why De La Salle and not the Ateneo de Manila e Blue Eagles? Hey, you know what? <laughs> de La Salle University was actually a dream for me. I think more so by the time I actually went in, you know, onto the campus and got a chance to see what it was like, what the environment was like, I made a personal decision that that was where I wanted to grow. I think that You know, Ateneo is an amazing school. Actually, my father played for Ateneo basketball in high school. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's like super stiff um, rivalry and competition. But I think a big part of it, too, was I love the campus. I love the experience. And as a matter of fact, of all the years of being educated in the Philippines, I want to say that college was actually my favorite time, hands down. Well, Alex, one thing that I want him to understand is what the environment is when Ateneo plays De La Salle in basketball. Please explain for <laughs> me and for, and for the audience in the U.S. Alex, it is absolutely vicious. Imagine like a combination of like the stiffest, like, you know, putting together the top two basketball teams. And one of them is obviously the Golden State Warriors. Um, and then imagine like, putting that like across different sports and it's just like literally two universities. That's how it is. People get crazy. They get like hurtful with their words. <laughs> I mean, but at the same time, it's a huge party. And I think that, um, you know, during our intercollegiate um, basketball competitions, which back home is called UAAP. Is that correct? I think it's no, it's absolutely wrong. Um, but anyway, you can scrap that. But during our basketball competition back home, if it's not Ateneo and LaSalle playing, people don't even bother to watch. It's like, that's got to oh, be. Oh, wow. So it's like uh, Duke and North Carolina or Lakers and, and Celtics. Even worse. Oh, wow. Way worse. <laughs> you have to see it to believe it. Wow. That is awesome. So how was Working for ABS and CBN, I know you touched a little bit, but, you know, just it is incredible to just show up and say, hey, I want a job and then get the job. And how is how was working for them? 
Well, you know, Alex, I actually started working for them in the Philippines. And when I started there, you have to remember, I was fresh out of college. I was maybe like 21 years old. I worked in the PR department. And right away, I was thrust in front of um, celebrities. <laughs> you know, but, uh, for the most part, I was learning as I went along. But I think that, um, you know, on top of the fact that I, even as a young child, I love, I love to read so much. So you know, speaking and um, writing was something that came very naturally to me. But I think it got really, really exciting when I actually had the chance to work for the chairman's office. I worked there for one year and um, I worked for a boss whom I absolutely love and adore, but I swear to God, it was like the devil wears Prada. And, (laughs) (laughs) And I have to tell you, it was the most interesting job I ever had in my life. Um, that's you know, a great analogy. when you work at that level of such a large corporation, you get to see everything that goes on, the good, the bad and the ugly. And you learn very quickly, um, you know, just kind of the rules of engagement and how to survive and thrive. But I think when I moved out here and I had the opportunity to work with them again, doing PR and community affairs initially, I thought it was the perfect opportunity for me because again you know I was starting I was starting a new life out here in the US and I had this great opportunity to really get so entrenched in the community in the Filipino American community I was sent to different places all over the country made a lot of new friends and it was wonderful for my social life it was wonderful for um you know building networks um you know, and then I started doing more things that were more political leaning. And so having such a huge network was really wonderful. You know, it, it really gave me a leg up in terms of fundraising and community organizing. But I have to say that the one thing that I never expected in my career was to be given an opportunity, an opportunity to go into TV production. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was nuts, Alex, I tell you. Um, one day, my boss, who eventually became um, our chief operating officer, Um, She hollered out to me, right, because I sat right across from her office, and she hollers out, she goes, hey, Kisa, um, your colleague is going on maternity leave, and I need you to produce the remaining episodes for this project. And I I thought I heard wrong. So, you know, I went up to her her doorway, and I said, I'm not sure if I heard you right. Did you actually say that you wanted me to produce some episodes for TV? And she said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're a writer. There's a wealth of talent downstairs. Go figure it out. You can do it. (laughs) And so what happened was I got two weeks of intensive one-on-one training with some of our most, you know, awarded, um, our most brilliant colleagues at the station. And, you know, before I knew it, it was in the middle of, at that time, I remember they called it the polar vortex in New York. It wasn't even just snow. It wasn't even just cold. We were literally in a polar vortex. And I remember being in New York. I had two cameramen with me, and I was holding umbrellas up over their cameras. And we were filming in the snow. And I remember it was so cold. You know, it's so cold, and, like, your face starts to hurt. That's the kind of... (laughs) It is cold, right? It is cold right now in Florida, and I'm shivering, and it's like, uh, it's only like 50-something, you know? Oh, so, my God. <laughs> so. That's so funny. But, you know, that's, that's kind of the situation I found myself in. And, 
I remember at some point I was thinking, oh my goodness, I'm being set up for, for failure. I don't know if I can do this to the level that I'm expected to, to perform. But you know what? I woke up really early every day. I did my homework. I felt like I was working twice as hard as anyone else on set. And that first time that I was sent to New York to produce for television, we won um, the first Emmy for the network. And that was such a big accomplishment for the team and just a testament to the kind of, you know, work ethic and the quality of people that I had the great fortune to work alongside. What a story. Uh, but, you know, ABS-CBN has had some challenges. So if, if given an opportunity, what would you say to President Duterte and others about their decision not to renew ABS-CBN's license? Harry, that, that's a really big one. You know, first of all, you know, I would, I think I have the courage to even say something right now because I no longer work for the media. But from very early on, since the beginning of his administration, there's been a crackdown on independent media in the Philippines. We've heard about this through the stories of Maria Ressa and Rappler and the shutdown of ABS-CBN in the middle of a pandemic when people did not have to lose our jobs. It was, I think, absolutely, you know, um, a show of the degradation of human rights and basic freedoms in the Philippines. And I think it's absolutely concerning. I think that when people all over the world hear about this, you can't help but turn a blind eye and not feel compelled to do something. Because if it happens in the Philippines, it can happen anywhere else in the world. And if we allow this kind of crackdown on independent, on independent press and their freedoms, then that kind of becomes a threat to democracy all over the world. Well, Alex met my our good mutual friend, Maria Ressa. Alex actually met. I did. I was, I was super impressed when, uh, when she uh, gave us a talk about what was going on and the freedom of speech and everything. It was impressive the way yeah, absolutely. You know, she was. You know, that one year that I actually worked at the chairman's office, the one I mentioned where I worked with someone who made me feel like he was kind of like Miranda from the Devil Wears Prada. That was actually the last year that Maria Ressa stood as the news bureau chief for ABS-CBN. So I was very fortunate to get to meet her, too, and be part of ABS-CBN when she was at the helm of our news department. Yeah, she was very impressive. I was like, wow. So going back to your Emmy uh, can you please tell our listeners the story what makes Kisa happy, you know, about the Emmy? What was the program that, that you produce and all that stuff? Well, the first Emmy that we got was for a short series called Oat the Record. And it was basically, um, it, was a, it was a feature on a handbag designer, Rafi Totenko, who's based out in New York. Um, but a couple years later, we won our second Emmy. And that was for a series called Spice to Life. And I really, really loved that series because it was all about food and chefs. And Alex, we got to go all over the country, get to eat the best food oh, made wow. by Filipino chefs. I mean, it was like the dream, right? Living the dream. Wow. Hey, you perhaps you could produce Harry's and mine television <laughs> a program or something. That was funny. <laughs> I would be happy to, as long as there's food involved. So actually, to answer your question, what makes me happy? I want to say good food. And good company. Oh, that's awesome. Actually, uh, Harry uh, Meaties prepared this uh, 
baked goods from Philippines. They got I don't like sweets, and it got me hooked up to those sweets. It's like ensimada and some uh, purple, uh, yeah, pandesal. Yes, right. And, oh my god, <laughs> and it's it is amazing how good it tastes. I know, I love it. Harry's got it so good. I am a huge fan of his wife's, by the way. Mithy's yeah, she's amazing. awesome. Yeah, she is awesome. So. You are a small business person. Can you tell us about uh, WeSpark? And I hope sure. I said it right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is this is something else that really just gives me so much joy, Alex. I think because of the pandemic, you know, um, when President Duterte pulled ABS-CBN off the air, around 70 to 80% of our team had to get laid off. And, you know, if you understand the environment and how it's just so much a family, it was really difficult for so many of us to imagine life outside of ABS-CBN. But I think what the pandemic was able to give us was an opportunity to really just kind of like step back and really become more intentional about how we wanted to create the next step and the next chapter of our careers. And one thing that I am so proud of is that, um, you know, we birthed WeSpark. WeSpark is a positive impact creative agency. So what we do is we help brands and businesses improve the way that they're run by a positive impact design on brands, campaigns, and content. So I know it sounds like a mouthful. It is. It is, right? But, you know, I think when you really break it down, I don't really believe in doing business just to do business. And, you know, so many of our archaic practices, um, so much of what 2020 was all about was really just about like getting ahead, um, doing things in, you know, like in bizarre ways, like with, you know, the example of the president of the Philippines and in many ways, um, a lot of the leadership here as well in our country. I think that I really wanted to be able to impact businesses in a way where, diversity and empathy were intrinsically embedded in business profiles. And there's a way to do it. I believe that good can actually be profitable. Yes, me too. Go ahead, please. Can you expand more of that? Totally, yeah. You know, um, I think the the more research that we did, people actually find more affinity towards brands when they are responsible or when there is a component of corporate social responsibility. So I'm a big believer that if at the onset, your brand or your business is already designed empathically, that it's a diverse team, that you're able to do things with, um, you know, with a consciousness of how it impacts uh, underserved and um, marginalized communities, then all the more better for the rest of the world. So I think that's, I think that's the way to go. It's the way of the future. I think. Oh, wow. That is incredible. So you managed to make it, we spar from the ground, ground zero? From ground zero. And you are now, <laughs> and you are now, and how many companies, or which ones is the company, or which one is the project that you thought that was going to be challenging and all of a sudden you could, you, you know, it gave you a bigger reward because uh, it went the way you wanted it for curiosity. You know, I'd have to say, I, again, like, you know, just kind of going off of this stroke of luck. I think that I was so, so fortunate that my first client was controversial and outside of California. <laughs> 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 so I actually, um, I was, 
I got connected to a small wine bar in Washington, D.C. called Barcada. Okay. And the reason that it's so interesting is because I actually think that the business model for the wine bar was excellent. But they emerged at a time when the Black Lives Matters movement was really like at its peak. Okay. And I think that because the name of the bar, Barcada, is borrowed from a Filipino word that means a group of friends and mm-hmm. the owners are not Filipino, there was automatically just kind of like this influx of, you know, an online community crying foul. And I think the way that I want to describe the engagement was I, we used the cracks to let the light in. You know, I think once you start to ask people in times of conflict and crisis, when you actually reach your hand across the table and ask them to explain their side of the story, often you'll find that people aren't really ill-intentioned. And there's probably a few things that you can tweak and a few things that you can fix so that you kind of bridge the gap. And then everyone's happy. Everyone kind of gets a piece of the economic pie, right? Everyone kind of makes money. Everyone's invested. Everyone's happy. And that's kind of what happened. Um, You know, we opened a conversation. We used the cracks to let the light in. And the thing that I'm so proud of, Alex, is that, um, you know, when we worked with Barcada Wine Bar, their social media was just a nightmare to to look at. It was scary. There were a lot of threats. Um, Often it was even very violent. It became like a hotbed for heated conversations between Filipinos in America and Filipinos in the Philippines. Oh, wow. Yeah, it it was crazy. But what I'm super proud of is that today, not only do they carry many of our um, Filipino products and spirits like our rum, our soju, our wines. But in essence, the wine, the wine bar has really stepped into this space of really being very intentional about representing underrepresented and smaller um, producers and vineyards. And I think that's great. They have wines on their shelves that are made by LGBTQ vintners. Um, they have Filipino products in there. Um, they're very intentional about how they approach it. And truthfully, I think that's the real way to show what friendship is all about, right? Um, so I'm very proud of the work that we've done together and how we were able to um, grow from from this little mishap. And with that little mishap, we'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight. Well, we're back with Kisa, and uh, we were talking about how her uh, brand company and how it was the biggest challenge and everything. But I'm a huge Filipino food movement fan. Can you tell us a little bit about it? The Filipino food movement was actually founded around seven years ago because there was a small group of volunteers out here in California that really wanted to preserve, promote, and progress Filipino cuisine. We wanted to basically be a player in the mainstream. You know how, like, when you're thinking Friday night, you think about mm. takeout. What are the yep. top three things that you consider? Pizza. Uh, I'll say Chinese and wow, let me see. You got Maybe Thai food. Let's say Thai food. Correct. Right? Okay. <laughs> right? Because who Go doesn't ahead. like a good pad CU? But listen, like Filipino food is not necessarily on, you know, top of mind when it comes to that. So You're we're right. a group of volunteers that really made it our mission to educate people about our cuisine, about the food, and help get it more mainstream. And I absolutely love and adore this organization. Actually, um, Since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, we did a couple uh, COVID-19 response programs. One of them is a weekly show called Culinary Alive, where we have different chefs, bakers, restaurateurs come on board to not only promote their businesses, but to also help teach people at home how to cook. And that's something that I've been hosting. I think we're already on our 41st or 42nd episode, but we understood that as people are staying home and there was an initial fear of going out and not really understanding, you know, the safety protocol around, you know, dining out, etc. People were just kind of going nuts, not knowing how to make food, <laughs> you know? So I think this is just a great way to kind of bridge that divide and keep it fun for everyone at home. So you guys created like a food network, uh, Filipino dishes? Absolutely. And we're on Facebook. It streams live on Facebook every Thursday, 12 noon Pacific. So if you or your wife are looking for some new cooking ideas, come and join us. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I've been, I've been a fan because, uh, of course, because of Harry and Mitty, they have introduced me to Filipino dishes. So and they're, they're delicious too, right? Delicious. You know, the thing about Filipino cuisine, Alex, is that it's so much influenced by many other cultures. So if you like Spanish food, if you like Chinese food, if you're into like Indian and even like Malaysian type food, there's probably something on our menu and in our cookbooks that you're really going to like. 
Oh, wow. So it's a mix or blend of all those cultures. A lot of those influences and, of course, a lot of things that are, um, you know, that are distinctly Filipino. A lot of those are the cooking methods, etc. And, you know, obviously, because we live in a beautiful country that has 7,109 islands, the seafood is always fresh. So it doesn't really matter what you do with it, right? Like, if you're working with good, fresh ingredients, a lot of the time, all you have to do is just a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and it ends up really good. I'm sure the the seafood out in Florida is really good too, no? Yeah. Puerto Rican foods, like, is all we use is adobo all the time. So. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. So adobo. What is your favorite Filipino food? You know, I have to say that the one thing, like, if it's in front of me, like, I can't say no. It's this thing called rellenong bangus. And basically, uh-huh. it's a milkfish. And they take all of the meat out, they cook it um, separately, and then they stuff the fish back back in. Okay. And um, it, so basically, it has fish meat. It has um, some raisins, some carrots and peas, and some Filipino spices. It's cooked with some, you know, bay leaves, etc. I absolutely love that. And it's kind of cool because when you slice the fish open, like you expect to see like regular fish, but it's not, you know. So it's I think that's kind of part of the part of the you know bewilderment of the rellenong bangus. But I love that with banana ketchup. Wow, banana ketchup! So, so good. it's like it's like our mofongo, which is a stuff plantain, green plantain stuff with you know it could be pork. Uh, seafood and uh, garlic and spices. So, wow. <laughs> totally. Actually, they, may, they might be related, the relleno and this stuff, mofongo. <laughs> yeah. Well, relleno is a Spanish for stuff. A Spanish oh, that's right. For relleno. So, that's yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> you see? Incredible. I'm learning nice. too here. <laughs> I, I see that Bat Sane and Port Patch in D.C. are major success in restaurants. Uh, why aren't there more, more Filipino restaurants, you think? I think it's a combination of many things, Alex. I think that, first of all, to make a restaurant successful, not only do you need, again, coming from We Spark, right, a good brand story and some sort of a connection and a love for the food and culture. Because when you're going to work every single day and the hours at a restaurant are really, really long, if you don't absolutely love it and if it doesn't speak to something inside of you, your foods, you're going to see it in the food, you know? Okay. But I think a big part of it as well, a big part of the reason why Purple Patch and Bad Saint were very successful were because of their leadership. Patrice Cleary and Tom Kunanan are some of the strongest icons of this food movement today. And what they have done with our cuisine is just absolutely incredible. But I think it's also a combination of marketing, of PR, and I think a readiness of the Filipino people and our culture to unabashedly and very proudly just kind of step in and say, hey, listen, this is us. This is who we are. This is who we eat. And this is what it's like. Because I think that every time, and this goes for any other culture, Alex, right? Like anytime you're most concerned about um, watering down your flavors because it might be too spicy 
for you know um, for America. Too salty it might or... be too salty or <laughs> you know like it might be too fishy for America then you kind of take away a part of your story and your palate that makes it so unique and I think this is something that a lot of us who have many first, second generation immigrants in our culture and our community can relate to. But for those of us who have younger immigrants into America, you'll find that many people were often very willing to give up some of the uniqueness of their culture and of their identity to belong. Yeah, to be accepted. To be yeah. accepted, right? Yeah. So you'll see a lot of Filipinos who, you know, do not speak the language or maybe they weren't served certain foods because you wanted to be accepted. You wanted to make living in America as easy peasy as one, two, three, you know? But I think we're now finding ourselves in a time of history where the louder and the prouder we show up and, you know, um, the more we are just kind of like unashamed of our background and where we come from, the more successful we'll actually become. Because I think that this is, you know, if anything, Alex, like we live in a country and in a time where people are ready. And if we're not going to do that here first in America, then where else in the world? Right? That is incredible. Uh, it is amazing because you, you absolutely uh, write about when, People come, they try to belong or fit in, and they think by forgetting where they came from or what, what, or giving up a little bit, they will fit in instead of embracing the the uniqueness of, of that culture. Yeah. You know, Alex, there's actually a saying in Filipino, um, and the saying goes, Ang hindi marunong lumingon sa pinanggalingan ay hindi makakarating sa pinaroroongan. And what it basically means is, if you don't first look back to where you came from, it's going to be really hard to get to where you want to go. Oh, wow. Harry, you got all that, right? <laughs> if I were home with Miti, she would be telling me, you know. That's why I don't try to speak Tagalog. <laughs> But... I listen to it all the time and try to understand. You probably listen more when she's mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> That never happens. Come on. Never. Happens. Never. Never. <laughs> Go ahead, Harry. Well, what, my, what, well, I hope that you were able to talk about the Filipino food movement. Absolutely. And I, I also hope that you were able to tell us how you're able to keep in such fantastic shape. Well, not yet. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I, I have to admit that since the pandemic, all of this cooking and baking and experimenting at home, you know, I've been eating everything. So I want to say that I maybe put on a couple pounds here and there. But the one thing that I am very proud of is that I'm very conscious about the food that I put into my body first and foremost. I think that when it starts with a consciousness of putting healthier food into your body, that overall its effect on your mental well-being, on your physical health is just so much better. I've actually been pescatarian for maybe around 11 years now. So I don't eat red meat or pork. So, you know, Harry, the lechon at Filipino parties. Oh, I, I know. my God. I, I know. I miss out on everything. But, you know, I have to say, I feel incredible. Also, 
the greatest thing that I have taken away from becoming pescatarian is I feel like I don't really get into moods or, you know, like that two o'clock, um, what is it? Like when you get, like, you know, like food so coma. Or energy no. level goes down. Yeah, right? I never get that. I feel like I'm like this when I wake up. And I'm like this right before I go to bed. And it's been such a good feeling. But also, I love yoga. I love to walk. I, I've been going for a lot of hikes, especially recently. Um, and for the most part, that's that's it. Well, Alex should I, I, should I be doing more? You'd get in big trouble with our wives. But I do hope you still try. Alex is a big rum fan. So I still hope once in a while you try Tandui. It is Oh, my word. Harry, Tanduai is my number one favorite. And I have to tell you that this year, I actually became acquainted with a couple other Filipino rums. One of them is actually founded by a Filipina woman. And the name of the rum is Kasama. And I understand that Kasama rum is now available in Florida. So you guys need oh, to check that out. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do you spell the Kasama? K- K-A-S-A-M-A. Kasama. Uh-huh. And it means together. And so when you try Kasama rum, be sure that you're with company, um, having a good time, because that's, that's what it's all about. It's about the sunshine spirit of the Philippines. But my brother ruins it with Coke all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they call it rum and Coke for a reason, right? <laughs> you know, I, I'm always sending Harry a picture when I'm having my rum and Coke. You know? Oh, I love that. Yeah. You know, this year, the crazy thing is outside of just drinking the rum, I started eating things with rum in it. Oh, wow. So dangerous. So oh, I do, I do the lechon. Just to let you know, uh, I, I, I marinate my lechon on my pork shoulder. I marinate it with rum. Wow. And I put rum or beer. I usually, when I have rum, I put rum. I put uh, garlic. I put oregano and I put, of course, adobo and sazon, and I let it marinate it for 24 hours, and then I slow cook it. Oh my god! Wow. Well, Alex and Mrs. Morales Hernandez, I'm coming over. <laughs> hey. hey, you're most welcome. What keep you motivated? You know, I think what keeps me motivated is knowing that even after all of the craziness of 2020. I am alive for a reason. Like we have all survived this for a reason. And that reason is that by some universal and cosmic design, we're supposed to be here to make things better. And every day I find that, you know, when I take meetings, when I'm working with clients, when I'm on Zoom and live streaming for Filipino food movement, I always feel that that's the reason why we're all here, right? So knowing that in some way, shape, or form that we can contribute to making things better and there's, there's a lot to rebuild and a lot to improve um, in our country today, I think that's my biggest motivation and it gets me excited. A great energy. I am so happy that you're doing the Filipino food movement. You know, when we were in the Philippines, I would go occasionally up to Clark to Claude Tayag's restaurant. Oh, and to me, um, you know, he's the Tabasco designer, Alex. Okay. Uh, but he's a, he made Filipino food healthy and cooked outside. And I always lamented the fact that there weren't more Filipino restaurants. They, they say, well, my mother can make that better. Well, I can say that too. My mother can make uh, <laughs> anything better. But 
I want to see more Filipino restaurants. I believe you can make Filipino food healthy. And with so many Filipinos in America, there should be more. So I salute you for everything that you're doing to bring Filipino food to America. Thank you, Harry. I mean, it's a true honor. You know, I can't think of a better way to spend my time than making new friends during the pandemic, cooking with them and eating all of this delicious food. You know, every time the the UPS guy comes by, USPS, UPS delivery people, and they have boxes because I know it's maybe food, I get so excited. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to check today? It's amazing. But you know, um, hats off to folks like Cloud Dayag who have really just more than created healthier Filipino food, really kind of through his teaching and through his words of inspiration and his example, have made Filipino Americans feel like, you know what, even if we're not in the Philippines, the fact that this is my culture, I am cooking this food, that this is something that I grew up with, I have legitimately earned my place in Filipino cuisine. Because a lot of the time, people would doubt themselves, like, you know, is this true Filipino cuisine? Because you're not Filipino from the Philippines, like you're Filipino in America, or maybe you're second, third generation, you don't even speak the language. But what people like Cloud have taught us is that if you're Filipino, if you identify with a culture, if you love it, you make it, you eat it, you cook it, guess what? You deserve it. I love that. And I hope that Chrisetta Comerford one day opens her restaurant. You know, we'd love to see that. Oh, gosh. Chris, Chris is just an icon, you know? I mean, to be cooking in the White House, um, to be able to serve our cuisine to heads of state, and to do it in just the most dignified and beautiful manner that she does, she's definitely one of my favorites. And if she is going to open a restaurant, I'm definitely tagging along with you and Mitty. <laughs> Well, we definitely will take you and uh, we will have, you and I will have fish, but I think my wife will have dinaguan. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mithi. She's so awesome. Ari, I was telling her about the baked goods that Mithi is doing, you know, the purple and the... the st- <laughs> well, um, Kisa was kind enough to put Mitty on one of her programs. Oh, so, my God. Uh, but what, Alex, you're going to have to do what I did. I just, uh, we bought tickets for the January, the end of January Filipino food movement. So uh, you're going to have to do the same thing for you and your family, Alex. Absolutely. Come in. <laughs> hey, you bring the energy. We'll bring the food. <laughs> Got me on hello. <laughs> but... But, hey, Kisa, are you into fashion also now? Tell us about that. Fashion? Oh, my gosh, Harry. There's such pressure. Well, the the short answer is no. But um, the other side of it is, you know what? I just really love playing dress up. I actually, one of the reasons that I love going to Burning Man outside of the community and the art is really because I love prepping what to wear. Um, I had the, you know, just the honor to work with um, one of our most celebrated Filipino photographers, Vincent Gotti this year. And he photographed me for um, Luxury Trending Magazine. And that was really awesome. It was kind of like, you know, um, it was really just kind of a celebration of 
my kind of fearless style. I think it's really weird because like when you see me, you know, out in the community um, at the Filipino food movement, I'm very like polished and, you know, but I like to have fun because, you know, life is too short. No one likes boring. Exactly. I like that. I'm the goof of the group all the time. Did you tell Alex about Burning Man? No, not yet. But I'm sure Alex has heard of it. Have you heard of it, Alex? No. Oh, my word. Well, Burning Man is an experience that I think everyone needs to have at least once in their lifetime. It's basically um, a pop-up in the middle of the, the desert in Nevada. And what they do is it's like a week-long experience of art and community. There's dance. Everything is built from the ground up. And it's a fantastic community. There's around 80,000 people on average every year. So it's really like a huge city, a pop-up city. And everything is self-sufficient. The one thing that I love is just the amazing citizenry that people embody when they're at Burning Man. You know, nobody leaves trash behind. Um, They always talk about consent, right? So you can't like take things or like, you know, do things with people unless everything is consensual. Um, you're also you're also encouraged to contribute to the community. So it's really a question because also money doesn't work there, right? So everything is just kind of exchanged and bartered. You can literally go from one camp to the other, get fed, get drunk, have a party, get your hair braided and not spend a dime. But the question is always going to be, what are you doing for this community? And I oh, love wow. that. I love that principle so much. I think that if our society, our American society, really embodied more of this socio-civic responsibility, we'd be in such a happier, more artistic, more beautiful place, you know? Well, you know, I always want to know, before I turn it over to Alex, we're always asking immigrants, foreigners, what can they get from America? What have they gotten from America? Filipinos have contributed so much to America. What, do you, what else can Filipinos teach Americans? You know, Harry, Filipinos, the, one of the most beautiful things about being Filipino is that I think from childhood, we are taught several things. The first is to love our family and God above all else. The second is to not be afraid of hard work. The third is that anything that you do in life, always remember that it should be able to bring pride and glory back to God and country. Like these are like basics of like Filipino family teaching. And I think that if we're able to share more of this um, in any way that we're able, right? By example, through friendship, through, you know, um, just really being more mindful about building solidarity and building more belonging within the communities where we exist, I think that we can contribute very largely to society today. Oh, wow. I think you are contributing a lot to American society. Already are, and you're one of those doing that. I should hope so. Well, we're about to, we're getting close to the end, and we thank you so much. Oh, but how do you see yourself in five years? Uh, where? You know, Alex, I feel like I've broken the mold in every possible way, right? I'm 38. I'm not yet married. No children. I'm starting a new career. So when people ask me, you know, what's up in five years, I want to say, I want to be able to look back at these five years and say, you know what? I did myself proud. 
I broke barriers. I did things that I that scared me to death, but that I just found the courage to do. And I think that would make me happy. I think anything else is really just kind of extra, you know? I mean, even in terms of like mothering, there's so many ways to mother and nurture communities and other people. You don't have to give birth to children to, to nurture. Um, I think marriage is overrated. <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless you find someone, unless you find someone that is an equal. My father says, someone who will absolutely equal the love and respect that your parents have for you, then sure, you know, but. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. Next question. That's so awesome. (laughs) You see, you see, we haven't said a word, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were the lucky ones, you know, you were the lucky ones. Take us out, Harry. And with that. <laughs> I can't wait to see you in person again. I hope to hug you. Uh, Mitty and I look forward to taking you out to dine, whether somewhere in the Bay Area, hopefully at a Filipino restaurant. And we'll introduce Alex to really great Filipino food. But salamat, salamat, salamat. Thank you, Harry. You know, um, even with the pandemic, there's so many ways for all of us to stay connected and really show each other that we love and appreciate each other. And for us, it's always been through food. Um, mahal na mahal ko kayo ni Mithi and Alex. Such a wonderful, wonderful chance to get to know you today. You're fun. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate your time. It is great. And thank you for seriously to taking the time for to take part. Thank you, Keith. See you soon. Thank it was Miss Kisa Ocampo at the Spotlight. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning into the Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again on the Voice America Variety Channel. 